Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about Lavinia Fisher, who is known by some to be America's first female serial killer. And she was actually recommended by one of our patrons, Amber. So thank you for the lovely episode idea. We always love when people reach out and say, like, will you cover this? Yeah, thank you. So there's really not a lot of information available about Lavinia before she got married. And we're going to be talking about her and her husband. So that's why we're talking about her with her first name, because normally with serial killers, we use their last name. But so we don't know where she was born. We don't know what her maiden name was. We don't have any of her childhood information. We just know that she was born in 1793 and was known for her beauty and charm. I even tried looking up genealogy records and I couldn't find anything, which I thought was interesting. No, it's hard. I mean, yeah, but 1793, it's a little tricky sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's just, <laughs> just a couple years ago. <laughs> we recently had another episode where we started with the legend of the crime and then talked about the actual crime. And what's interesting is that th- there's kind of a similar format to today's episode as well, because there's a more dramatic telling of this story. And so we're going to start with that, and then we'll shore up on the details after. So Lavinia married a man named John Fisher, and that's how she became Lavinia Fisher. They lived close to Charleston, South Carolina. And at this point, Charleston was a major metropolis in the United States. And it was actually only second to New York City in population, which seems wild, right? Yeah. Lavinia and John owned a hotel called Six Mile Wayfarer House. And it was called this because it was six miles outside of Charleston. Original. What would you name your hotel that was six miles out? I mean, there is no other name. That's the only name. (laughs) And spa, maybe? (laughs) <laughs> and, and spa. Well, it, I think it depends on if you're going to have ghosts that give massages, you know? I mean, who wouldn't want that? I don't know. You know I want a ghost face massage. But anywho, if you're thinking of 1793, people are not getting around by car at this time, right? As you often are. As they often are. <laughs> and so six miles isn't necessarily close, Now when I think, oh, it's six miles out of town, I'm like, that's literally nothing. That's just like a few minute drive. Right. But they're like, oh, this is going to take forever on this horse. So it was considered outside of town. And because of that, it was popular with gangsters and highwaymen. And I was like, I think I know what highwaymen are. Yeah, the idea at least. Yeah. My assumption was correct. But they're people who would steal from travelers And typically, and this is very important, they traveled and robbed people while on horseback. And that's an important distinction because robbers who rob people like peasants on their own feet rather than on a horse's feet were known as footpads. And highwaymen were considered socially superior to footpads. Well, yeah. And I just like the idea that there's like a social hierarchy of like people doing the same crime in the same place, but one person's on a horse and the other person isn't, like, fascinating to me. (laughs) Well, one's going to travel faster and be able to do more and hold more. I I mean, I guess, like, they're going to be better at it. Are they? Yes. Because one of them has to hold a, like, be in charge of a horse 
while they're doing other things. Well, the horse is their friend and is in on it. Oh, God, they're they're like evil horses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The horses are in on it. <laughs> you heard it here. Um, clip clop, clop. The, the world's first truly evil animal is just the evil horses of the late 1700s. Maybe. You don't know. They travel. <laughs> this, these are the ghost horses. So what's interesting is when you think about like, when were these types of criminals popular? Pretty much since people started traveling by roads, which makes sense, right? I think it's interesting because now you have carjackers and stuff, but you don't think, I'm going to be on a long stretch of highway. I need to be weary of people in cars next to me trying to rob me. That's not a thing. Is that why they developed windows? So you can just roll up your window. Oh, yeah. They were like, no, somebody might try to rob me. It's definitely not because of like rain or weather. It's so that people in the car next to you can't rob you. They can't reach in. Yeah. Now you're like, don't pick up a hitchhiker or like be careful with the degree of road rage that you have because you don't know who that other person is. Right. It's not like that's fair. Just like you're the average you're driving on a highway. The person next to you might try to rob you while in their car while you're both driving. That would be an interesting Just, story, though. It's terrifying. I'm hoping people learn. Don't do it. Don't do it. But <laughs> no. And interestingly, sometimes women would dress up as men and they would also be highwaymen, too. Great. I love it. Yeah. And one of the first uses of that word highwaymen is from 1617 in Europe. And just, again, people were adding a little bit of sparkle to this profession and they would call them gentlemen of the road or knights of the road. And like, it's a little bit facetious, right? Because clearly these are not knights or gentlemen. Right. But it feels a little bit weird to make light of that profession. Like, it feels weird that they're like, we'll call them gentlemen or knights when they were often sexually assaulting people when they were committing these robberies. They were so brutal that there's even accounts of people having their fingers cut off when a ring couldn't easily be removed. Ugh. In the West, in America, some people also call them road agents, which like, okay. Oh, that's like fancy. That's modern. Very modern for this. It does feel modern. So while at the Six Mile House, the gangsters may have cheated travelers out of money in poker games. Hmm. We've been talking a lot about old timey gambling lately. I am drawing a blank on every single instance other than this moment. <laughs> we were talking about the, the gangsters at some of the hotels. Their ghosts may be there. And then last week was Galveston. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because we talked about bathtub gin in relation to this. Okay, okay. It got me there. It got me there. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. We're really on a, a kick. So in addition to criminals being popular guests, they also had people who were visiting the area to trade or sell goods. This meant that they were typically carrying a lot of money or products. Men who traveled to Charleston started to mysteriously disappear. And some sources say that sex workers, neighbors, and young women also began to disappear. A while later, people began to notice that the last place that these people were seen was the Fishers Hotel. Investigators eventually cleared the Fishers because they couldn't find anything linking them to the disappearances. Plus, a lot of people liked them in town, so they're like, they wouldn't do anything wrong. Silly. Later, it was found that the Fishers were actually robbing and killing their male guests. I'd like to point out that we are still in the legend right now. That's an important note here. Yes, correct, correct. Because it's about to get a lot more dramatic. <laughs> yes. Even after they were investigated, the Fishers continued killing and robbing men. In February of 1819, a group of locals went to confront the Fishers. Bold. 
And there's not much detail on what exactly happened, but it's believed that they were satisfied, for the most part, with that confrontation. However, they did leave one of their group members behind, and his name was David Ross. And he was supposed to watch the area. So they're like, we're going to leave. You hang here. Let us know if anything crazy happens. And as we were researching, we were like, that's weird. Because this is like one part of the story where there actually ends up being more detail and like what actually happens. And this just feels like nonsense. We're going to come and give you a piece of our mind. And now our friend's just going to hang back and like just chill here just to make sure that you're not like robbing and killing more people. Because like, what what is he going to do? Yeah, exactly. With one, yeah, one guy. One guy. So, per the legend, two men then attacked David and brought him to a group of men plus Lavinia. He asked Lavinia to help him, and she did the complete opposite. She instead choked Ross and smashed his head through a window. Even with all of this happening to him, Ross was able to escape, and so he was able to inform authorities about what had happened. In terms of violence, I'm not a person who's going to say any of this was warranted or reasonable. But I think one of the things that I'm like, why? Is why would she put his head through a window? Like now they have to replace that window. That's just work for you. That's just money for you to deal with. Yeah, for an owner doing something like that. Yeah. And that's just another part of this where I'm like, I can see how this part feels made up, you know? So around the this, this same time as this altercation with Ross, a man named John Peoples stopped at the Six Mile House to see if they had a room available. And he had been traveling from Georgia. And he had met with Lavinia and she had said, oh, you know, we don't have any rooms available. But she invited him in to have tea and a meal. And throughout the dinner, Lavinia's husband, who's also named John, kept giving Peoples really weird looks. And again, Lavinia was beautiful and she was charming. And so Peoples just kind of focused on his conversation with her and ignored the weird looks from John. Don't do that. Don't ignore the weird looks from the people where you're trying to stay there, right? So they're having this conversation and Lavinia is just so fascinated by him. She keeps asking him questions about his life and he's answering her and they're having like a fine time. After a bit, Lavinia excused herself to go get the tea. And when she came back, she told Peoples that fortunately... A room had opened up and she offered it to him. So as Peoples accepted Lavinia's offer, she poured him a cup of tea. And he didn't want to be rude and like stop her mid-pour, but he also didn't like tea. Me either. I hate tea. I love tea. I'm drinking tea right now. Leaf water? No. No. I don't want it. It can be leaf water, herb water, fruit water, dried fruit water. So Peoples doesn't like tea, right? And he's like, I am not going to be drinking this because I don't want it. So when Lavinia and John aren't looking, he poured the tea into the house, a house plant. Fair. I'm hoping it was like cartoon-esque where the person looks away for a second and he like flips it and it perfectly goes into the plant, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he had to do it very quickly, though. You know what I mean? Like, it would have to be. And also, I just feel like there would be like steam coming from the house plant when they'd be like, that's weird. No, not for long. Just for a second, maybe. Just for a second, just burning this plant with hot tea. So then Lavinia shows Peoples up to his room and she leaves him. So he's sitting in his room and he's like, hmm, it's kind of weird how interested she was about me and my life. That's how I feel when anyone asks me questions. Like our conversation (laughs) was just me talking about me, which like relatable. So relatable when you're like, oh, my God. Did I talk too much in that conversation? Did I overshare? Oh, no, I'm realizing this later. But so he's like, 
hmm, she knows a lot about me. I gave this stranger a lot of information about me. And her husband was giving me weird looks all night. And so then he's like, oh, no, what if they're going to rob me? And so he's concerned and suspecting this, but he's also exhausted from traveling. And there's none of another place right there, right? So he's like, okay, I'm going to stay and sleep. But he doesn't sleep in the bed. He sleeps in a chair near the door to the room. And so sometime after he fell asleep, a loud noise woke people's up. And so he's trying to kind of figure out what that sound was. And that's when he noticed that the bed in the room had disappeared. That's intense. And where the bed had been, there's a large, deep hole beneath the floor. And then Peoples, brilliantly, does not investigate. He just gets the fuck out of there. He jumps out the window, gets on his horse, and rode to Charleston to inform the authorities. Six miles away. Six miles away, but 10 out of 10. Do not go look in the big hole where the bed was, right? No, never investigate. You leave. You can see that the floorboards aren't just like cracked and splintered. Something is up. Yeah. So law enforcement then arrested the Fishers and the two men who had been working at the hotel with them. And the Six Mile House was extensively searched. And the grounds were also excavated to search for remains. During their search, law enforcement realized that there were several hidden passages throughout the hotel. And then they found dozens of items that belonged to the missing travelers. Because remember, they're like merchants who were selling things. So they likely had very identifiable things that you would know belonged to them. Right. And then law enforcement also found an herb, oleander, that the fishers had been mixing into the tea of the travelers who were coming to the Six Mile House. And the reason they would give them this herb is because it would put a person in a very deep sleep for hours, and they wouldn't wake up when the mechanism under the bed was triggered, right? Because it was loud. And then John would stab them in the basement. What a plan. A very intense plan. I'm not advocating for this at all, but you could bludgeon them the second they walked in and just be done with it. You know what I mean? You could strangle them when they were first getting there. We don't need to go into the specifics. I just feel like there's a lot of better ways to do this. Yeah. It seems really elaborate for the time period. It seems really elaborate for this. Why do you need them to be asleep? Remorse. They don't look at them. Yeah, but like, they could also do it as soon as they like got off their horse before they've ever talked to this person. They don't want the horse to see. <gasps> That's how you get evil horses. <laughs> Such trauma. <laughs> Okay, so it's believed that at least some of the men may have died from oleander overdose before they were stabbed, because the difference between poisoning someone and putting them to sleep, I would imagine, is not a lot of oleander. And I was like, I thought oleander was just like a type of flower. I didn't realize it was a type of shrub. And I also didn't realize that there's a lot of different varieties, and they all kind of look different. The flower colors vary, and the heights of the shrubs vary, and that they're super resilient. They can grow here. Some varieties are are more resilient than others, like the Arizona one that Amanda has. And they don't take a lot of nurturing. Nope. They can be heat and drought resistant, aka Arizona resistant. Yep. And they can grow in seaside gardens too, which is interesting because that means that they can withstand sea salt on the wind, which I would imagine would be pretty harsh. Yeah, they're everywhere here. And they're also, they grow very well in South Carolina, which is where we are. And when you're thinking of poisoning, even a small amount can cause death or severe illness. So I don't think that they would need to be really dosing things. They could just do a little bit. So Pliny the Elder wrote about oleander and described its flowers that look like roses and noted that it was poisonous. 
Uh-huh. And we've talked about Pliny the Elder's writings in a couple of our episodes. We talked about him in our Mermaids episodes. We talked about him in Halloween Myths and Mysteries. And he had very interesting ideas about the full moon and madness. Yes. If you are newer to us and you haven't listened to that, that was like, what, our first year of recording that we like did a little deep dive into Halloween. That's a fun one. I, I do like that episode. But we also talked about his nephew, Pliny the Younger, in our ghost episodes, which I thought we have. were like chock full of Plinys. So some sources say that investigators found several hundred sets of human remains in the basement, which makes me just think that that's a very big basement to be able to hold that many. A very big basement that can hold smell very well. It would have to, yeah. So in this legend, the Fishers were both found guilty of several murders and robberies and were sentenced to hang. We're going to talk a little bit more about some other parts of the legend later as we're they're kind of like dispersed throughout the actual facts as best we can find them. Yeah. Yeah. So as with any old timey murder, the details and the legend are sometimes hard to tease apart. It's hard to decipher which goes to which because they're very similar, but also very different. Historical records suggest that only two bodies were found, not hundreds. And in the book Six Miles to Charleston, The True Story of John and Lavinia Fisher by Bruce Orr, he notes that the two bodies that were found were a white man in a fresh grave that was close to the woods around the Six Mile house, and he had been shot. And his remains were next to a young black woman who had been buried roughly two years prior. So much different, right? It's also important to note that at this time, slavery is still legal. Right. Yeah. Or also states that the basement full of bodies, the oleander tea, and the trap doors were all fabricated, which makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, it's because again, it seemed like doing a lot. A lot, a lot. I feel like people in modern times would have a hard time creating this whole thing too, with a trap door where the bed could still go back up so they could do it again, right? Mm-hmm. Also, if you're stabbing them on that bed, are you replacing the bed or is this like chock full of blood? Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. There's so many little holes in this. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that arise from the story. Right, right. He also points out that the bodies that were found did not show clear evidence that the Fishers had murdered the people. So the Fishers were not charged with murder. Or also notes that the FBI defines a serial killer as a person who has killed more than three people in a time period greater than 30 days. So Lavinia would not qualify. So she's, in fact, not America's first female serial killer. No. There's a newspaper article from the Charleston Courier that was published on February 22nd of 1819. And it gave a little bit more detail about when the group of neighbors confronted the Fishers. The one where we're like, that's kind of weird. But in the article, it talks about how the Fishers and their accomplices were basically threatened and they were told that they had to leave town. And originally, the group wanted to burn down the house. But instead, they thought you know, what we should do is we should just put one of our people in charge of the house. So we'll leave this person here. Still doesn't seem like the best idea. It's very different. But it makes more sense than we've yelled at them. And now we're keeping someone here to watch the house. I guess. After the Fishers left, they came back and they beat up the person who had been left in charge. And the person was able to escape and run into town. And what we're thinking is that's David Ross from the legend. It's very similar. Mm hmm. The next morning, the Fishers and their accomplices attacked a traveler and stole 30 to $40 in money after beating him up and cutting his head. 
So the traveler ended up going to authorities, and this traveler ended up being John Peoples. So that's where that name comes from. Okay, so there was an altercation, but not at all even close to the legend. Yeah. Not an elaborate bed thing. No. Yeah. Or him, like, cartoon pouring out the tea into a plant. I mean, I like the picture it paints. That That's more interesting. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not as theatrical. So the police came and surrounded the house, and they arrested three men and one woman. The house and the outbuildings were then burned without letting the fishers or their accomplices grab anything from the buildings first. And that seems very strange, you know, because that's also a lot of evidence that they just burned. Yes. I just also want you to really lock that fact in your head. The house was burned before they could go back in. All of their belongings were burned. Right. Just really lock that in. Nothing, no clothing, (laughs) no souvenirs, nothing. Burned. Right. And they burned everything. So before burning the outhouses, an investigator found the hide of a cow that had gone missing from a neighboring farm. So they're just pissing everybody off. Weird. And how do you identify it? I mean, I guess maybe the branding, but still. You know, I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, they probably recognize the spots from the description. Oh, that makes me sad that I didn't even think about branding. I was like, they probably recognized its markings. Lost cow wearing collar. (laughs) Oh, no. In my head, he was like, he has a brown spot that looks like a boot on his tummy. That's where my head went, which is just so pure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the Fishers were charged in relation to the two attacks that had been reported, which were Ross and Peoples. The charges specifically were assault with intent to murder and common assault. These were eventually downgraded to highway robbery, not murder. They were convicted and sentenced to be hanged for their crimes. Which, again, I'm not saying to attack people, but being killed for stealing items is a lot different than a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot different than the serial killer, but it feels like a very disproportionate punishment because we know, okay, there is that assault element to it, but highway robbery, I'm assuming there was likely some mitigating factor of with force, but still like the people walked away. Right. And a cow. They lost possessions, which again, I'm not saying it's okay to do those things. Yes. And the cow. But it's more like being killed for robbery feels very disproportionate sentence. Right. So the Fishers both pled not guilty, and they were remanded to jail where they awaited their trial. The two men that had been arrested with them had been released on bail while they awaited their trials. One of the men, named William Hayward, was eventually sentenced to death for his part in the attacks. Again, that's a lot different. Mm -hmm. They appealed their conviction and planned their escape while they awaited the appeal. It's important to note that the Fishers were jailed together and that the jail was not heavily guarded. When we were researching, I thought this was very interesting, because I was like, how are they planning their escape together? You know? Oh, right? Yeah. The Fishers made a rope out of linens, and they attempted their escape on September 13th, which is tomorrow. We're recording on the 12th. We keep doing that where we're recording like right near the dates of events that we're recording about. So the rope broke after John got out. So John went back in to get Lavinia. Which you don't expect that from a criminal, right? Yeah. What's interesting is that some sources kind of vary on that. Some say that he was trying to go get her and others say that like he didn't want to leave but didn't know what to do. And while he was trying to figure it out, he was apprehended, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. 
Because I feel like the legend, people like the drama of it. That's true. So they were apprehended and they had tighter security after that. Their appeal was denied in February of 1820 and their hangings were scheduled for later that same month. Reverend Richard Furman, a local minister, offered to counsel the pair. And John accepted, but Lavinia did not. John begged for his soul and for his life, and he asked Reverend Furman to read a letter at his hanging. On February of 1820, the Fishers were hanged. John was first, and the Reverend read his letter to the group of over 2,000 people that had come to watch the hanging. He read that letter before John was hanged. And in the letter, John begged for mercy for those who he thought had done him wrong in the justice process because he insisted he was innocent. And he said, In a few moments, and the world to me shall have passed away. Before the throne of the eternal majesty of heaven I must stand. Shall then, at this dreadful hour, my convulsed, agitated lips still proclaim a falsehood? No, then, by that awful majesty, I swear I am innocent. May the Redeemer of the world plead for those who have sworn away my life. Dramatic. Dramatic. I wish people still spoke like this. I feel bad that this is right before he's dying, but I just want some colorful language. I don't. Look, you say that, and I, I'm i going to say this next part very lovingly, is that sometimes I live in the Northeast, and I speak very quickly, and I move very quickly. And my husband, who is from the Southeast, really takes his time sometimes. And I am there, but I am waiting. I am waiting <laughs> for him to be finished, because I want to hear what he has to say in the point And sometimes it just takes a long time. When I listen to podcasts, I also often listen to them on like one and a half speed. So do I. (laughs) But you can't do that in real life. And it's a disservice to me (laughs) that I can do it on a podcast because my brain's like, what if we just, and I'm like, I can't do that. What am I going to say? Move it along? Like, that's rude. But I will say that people in like the Southeast have a, a longer, more drawn out, momentary time of telling you the story. So while they might not be using this language, they are giving you a paragraph for a sentence sometimes verbally, not like in writing. I don't really notice, but like sometimes verbally as I now dance around the point. <laughs> I know, but the convulsed, agitated lips proclaim my falsehood. Instead of saying, I am innocent, this gets my attention more than I am innocent. The flair? (laughs) Still proclaim a falsehood, I declare. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, he's reading a letter, so like he's got to really, you know? So even after the reverend read this letter, John was like, okay, but ain't another thing. And he kept telling people he was innocent. Ultimately, he asked for the crowd's forgiveness right before he was hanged. Interesting. So, Lavinia. Almost every version of the legend that you read talks about Lavinia wearing her wedding dress to her execution. But, like, no. Right? Like, that one, they just didn't, they aren't like, what do you want to wear? Last meals are a thing, but, like, but what about the fit? <laughs> Did you like that, Gen Z? <laughs> right? Are we doing it? Are we saying it right? <laughs> Did we, did we, (laughs) am I chooky? Yes, probably. Whatever. Anyway. Cringe, perhaps? No, cringe is our word. Chooky's there. Oh, is cringe ours? Oh, yeah, cringe is ours. I don't know. But okay, yeah, sure. I feel so old. Well, you are, and I am, because I'm older than you. (laughs) 
right? We can all agree that they aren't going to let her wear her wedding dress, right? Nor did it exist anymore. (laughs) Yeah, because the house was burned down. That's why I really drilled that point in earlier, is that even if they were like, but what about the fit? They couldn't have gone and gotten her dress because it was burned. Right. Unless it was kept somewhere else, as one does with their wedding dresses. Well, she had it in a fireproof safe. Clearly. Clearly. So, okay. The drama of the wedding dress, no. But accounts do agree that Lavinia wouldn't walk herself there, so they had to pick her up and carry her. That's fair. Who would want to? Who would do that? I mean, like, I understand, like, what are you going to do? Carry me. Fine. Do it. I'm not going to walk. Yeah. Make me. You know, like, what are you going to do? Kill me? Like, yeah. Okay, sure. Go for it. But Lavinia was very sure she was going to be pardoned by the governor because she was a woman. I would also say, like, maybe because it's an unreasonable sentence for robbery. Right. It's not like she did good things. She did bad things, but yeah. No, I'm saying she's bad things. Be in prison forever. But hanging for robbery? Yeah. I also, you know, we didn't see the extent of these injuries, but it just feels disproportionate. It does. Anything less than death that doesn't involve children doesn't make sense in my brain as a death penalty offense. But anywho, some sources say that she screamed and raved while they carried her, and that when she was at the gallows, she screamed at the crowd and blamed them for her conviction. So we see two different versions of what she said. One version says, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me, I'll carry it. And then the other version is, if you have any message for the devil, tell me now, for I shall be seeing him shortly. And that she jumped off the scaffolding herself before they could execute her so that she died. And that her body was dangling over the crowd. Okay, she's saying she's going to hell. Interesting. Yeah. However, other sources say that Lavinia claimed her innocence. She begged for mercy from the crowd. And that she kind of then yelled about the governor because, she again, she wanted him to pardon her. Right. Eyewitness accounts state that Lavinia did not jump from the scaffolding. And that the execution proceeded as normal. They just had to add more to it to make it more interesting. Mm -hmm. So interestingly, Orr suggests that the deaths may have been fabricated to seize the land for a new naval base by the governor. Hmm. But apparently, President James Monroe wasn't really impressed with that area, and the naval base wasn't even built for another 80 years. So it doesn't really make sense. As always, we love to talk about ghosts, right? And a lot of people think that Lavinia is still around. So very soon after her death, people in Charleston began to report seeing the apparition of Lavinia in the old jail where she had been held. And apparently they would see her face between the bars of the cell where she had been kept. So she was just like looking down at them. And a lot report that she would be looking out the window towards Magazine Street. And that's pretty common with hauntings, right? Like people will spot someone looking down through a window. So fair. Also, people began to report seeing her walking around the neighborhood and the cemetery after the great earthquake of 1886. I love the idea of a ghost being just like shook out of a building and now she can free range. Right. That's what I was thinking. I was like, so the earthquake opened the building so she could sneak out. What happened? Yeah. A little off topic. Oliver loves this series of book called The Haunted Library. It sounds amazing. And the initial book, the ghosts get trapped in the wind. Like they accidentally go outside and the wind blows them away and they have to try to find their family of ghosts again. 
Oh, God. And that, that's what it reminded me of, is like the earthquake moved the ghost. Yeah. But in the books we read, it's the wind. They're afraid of the wind. This absolutely tracks for a book you would be reading with your child, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have the whole series. Yeah. And they call people solids. I do enjoy that. It's so cute. Anyways, people reported seeing her also in white. So perhaps her wedding dress that got burned? (laughs) I like to think that if you're going to be stuck on Earth while you figure out your ghost ship before you get your ghost therapist, that you will at the very least be able to pick what you're wearing and aren't just stuck in like what you wore at the time of your death. That's fair. I hope so. Sometimes when I think of going out and I'm like, oh, I'm wearing this today. It's not my favorite, but it's what's clean. Mm -hmm. I don't want to haunt people in this. Yeah, no, I understand. I just got my eyebrows like tinted today. And the idea of what if I had like a bad eyebrow day and that's the day I died and I had a bad eyebrow day. But you know what? I would go find a ghost therapist, get my shit worked out, move on to the next life. I solved my own problem. Done and done. Perfect. Well, she is known as Charleston's woman in white because remember, they're everywhere. The woman in white. Yeah. Every town's got to have them. I don't know why. So look, do we like to reference old episodes? Yes. Do we say the same phrases over and over again? Yeah. Wolf boy, do we, right? (laughs) But you know what else we just generally like to do? Talk about how Zach Bagans is a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda had no clue how I was going to introduce this section. So she's just like, let's see how bad this is. (laughs) (laughs) But like in our outline, I do have the word written out because come on. So- Surprise, surprise. They don't really go into the history. So there was a an episode of Ghost Adventures. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just completely like glossed over that. There's an episode of Ghost Adventures. It's the Old County Jail in Charleston episode, season seven, episode 10, if you want to be annoyed. And it's as frustrating as you would think it would be, like every one of their episodes. Throughout the episode, he calls Lavinia a psychotic bitch, which like, again, I'm not saying she was good, but like name calling isn't great. Well, it's not just that. It's that, like, it seemed as though she was an opportunistic criminal and that she wasn't just, like, bloodthirsty. Like, she was like, I want money and things, which, again, not great. Not saying that's good. It's just more like, is she a psychotic bitch or is she just an opportun? Like, how many men criminals are there out there stealing things that aren't being called psychotic? It just felt weird, you know? It did. Well, and his joke after was awful. Yeah, And he says, quote unquote, I somehow seem to attract psychotic evil women. And I just want to point out that if you think, and this is you to him or anyone else, if you think all of the people you date are psychotic, I mean, like all of them, then maybe you are the problem. And it could be either that you are choosing bad people or that maybe uh, they're not the ones who are crazy. But starting at the beginning of this section, there's a dramatization of the hanging and it is the worst dramatization I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it was bad. Like, it was bad, bad. And so <laughs> Zach says, Lavinia, do you like killing people and why? Well, first of all, that's a long question to ask a ghost. <laughs> right. Also, like, a, a cursory understanding of what happened there might be necessary. And then at one point he said, Lavinia, you said if you have any message for the blank, and then you hear the devil. And I don't think it was real. More than anything I've ever seen on that show, I was like, oh, that's fake. That's like literally someone going, the devil. Right? It, it was weird. And even before that, like that, that's a long episode because they don't focus only on the jail. Like they, mm-hmm. they travel around and talk about horse shit for a while. 
for some reason. It's got like a real uh, Mojo Dojo Casa vibe. (laughs) And they got, I think, an EVP earlier in the day, too. And it just like, to me, it sounded like crashing. And they're like, it's saying something. And I'm like, it's someone bumped into something. (laughs) But okay. Not saying that some people don't have legitimate ones. Like, I've heard some that I cannot explain. Yeah. But, like, this just seemed weird. Yeah, you know, our problem is generally with him as a whole. And so, therefore, his ghost investigations I don't respect. Because I don't respect him. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the story of Lavinia. Have you heard about it before? I know this was recommended to us. Has anyone visited that jail before? It did look a little spooky. It did. It did look spooky. Charleston generally looked kind of spooky. We might have a full episode on them later on. Yeah. And if you have any spooky stories from Charleston or from this jail, send them over. We'd love to include it in our Podiversary episode. Yeah. And so our Podiversary episode is coming up in early October. If you want to submit a story, you can either write a story out or send us a recording and it'll just have to be sent to us by October 2nd. Also, if you do so, we have our Spooky Basket giveaway going on as well. You'll get some entries for sending us a story. And you'll get three for any written story and five for any that are recorded. So pretty easy entries, I think. Speaking of the basket, it's going through Halloween and you have many different ways to enter. You can submit a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you've already done it in the year of 2023, you already have some entries. You get four entries. However, there is, I think, one that has not emailed us for a sticker, which is totally fine. But we don't know who you are, so we can't give you an entry. But if you leave us a review, send us an email so we know who you are. And of course, you still get your sticker. Yes. If you've already done so and you want to recommend us to a friend and they leave a review, they can name drop you and you can also get an entry that way. All of our Patreons have already gotten their two entries just for being a Patreon member. So special thank you and shout out to all of them. And then lastly, if you share us in your Insta stories, you can get an easy entry. That's for one entry just by sharing us and tagging us in your story. And as a note, when you tag someone on Instagram, make sure that you hit the little sticker button and purposely tag us. Otherwise, we can't track it. Yes. And it makes it much harder for us. And we want everyone to get every single one of their entries. Yes. Yes. Please and thank you. And if you have any questions about our Podiversary, our Patreon, our giveaway, send us an email or head to our website. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs> Pliny the Elder wrote about Oleander, and he described that its flowers looked like rosins. Oh my god, rosins. What the fuck's a rosin? <laughs> Moo, god damn it. I was on a fucking roll. Dad, stop listening right now. Right now. Don't listen to anything else. They couldn't have gone and gotten her dress because it was burned. Right. Unless it was kept somewhere else, as one does with their wedding dresses. Well, she had it in a fireproof safe. Clearly. Clearly. Did you ever preserve yours? I think mine is in my parents' closet. 
no, what am I going to do? Wear it again? She'll never be that skinny. I'm the she. No, but people pay to preserve them and like put them in a fancy box and get them cleaned. And mine is also just in a closet with still like the bottom being brown from walking outside. Look, I don't ever plan on wearing it again. So it's just going to exist there until there's a reason for it to not exist there. You know, or until my mom's like, I'm cleaning out this closet. We're taking this out because I don't want them to remember that it's there and make me come get it. Because then it has to be in one of my closets and it's big. It's fair. I'm serious. We had to take this out because I don't. My dad listens. Oh, he'll, he'll listen to the. I thought it would be at the end of the episode. We'll sneak it in at the very last end, maybe. <laughs> No, that's not fair. I don't get to store things in people's closets. You can't either. 